Hi, I'm Justin Rosso, and welcome to this episode of the Next Step Podcast, where we help you take a next step. This is episode 14 of season 4. It's also a Facebook Live reading of the book, Delight, Discipleship as the Adventure of Loving and Being Loved. Hey, there's a lot of stuff going on today, and uh, it's a busy time and a busy time of year, so thanks for spending time with me as we dig into God's Word around this devotional book. It was a cool day this morning in Michigan. Uh, It's actually cool all day long. Uh, We had some hail this morning when the kids went off to school. Uh, It got a little bit nicer, but it rained most of the day. It was kind of one of those fall rains that finishes knocking all the leaves off of the trees. All the leaves have changed color. Uh, We had one good rake this last weekend, and now most of the rest of the leaves are in the yard. Uh, there's still a few hanging onto the trees, so we'll let it rain another day or two before we try to to rake all the leaves up. So where are you tonight? How's how's the weather where you are? I know there's some people listening that got snow. I know there's some people listening that are still uh, poolside and in their shorts and short sleeves. So wherever we are tonight, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. It's great to be spending this time with you from uh, around the country and around the world. We have been talking about suffering and obedience and Jesus first, but also us and God's will and how that all fits together. Kind of a heavy and complicated topic. We're right in smack dab in the middle of, of chapter nine. God's will directs your adventure. And that, that concept of God's will is what we've been talking about. Uh, backing up just a couple of pages. Here's, I think, an important paragraph. The kind of delight Jesus experienced, the kind of delight Jesus wants you to have, is strong enough and deep enough and big enough to hold even suffering in the hands of faith before the throne of grace. For anyone filled with the Spirit, like Jesus, like you, for anyone filled with the Spirit, suffering is safely held under the umbrella of God's delight. Talked a little bit about that last night. Uh, we talked about obedience and how the way we typically think of the word obey may not be completely biblical. We redefined obedience as hearing and holding on to God's will and God's delight. You can obey promises as well as commands. And then here's a gem from last night's reading. Jesus' suffering and death are central to the story of salvation, but they are never alone in the story of salvation. So when the Bible talks about God delighting in the death of the suffering servant, it comes in the context of the knowledge that that servant will also know the light of life and God's delight will prosper in his hand. So Jesus' death is combined, held together with Jesus' resurrection and his uniting people with their heavenly father. So, uh, of course, obedience is holding on to it. God's promise and God's command is something that's not merely theoretical, but something that gets lived out in real life. So when Abraham goes to sacrifice the son of promise, Isaac, God can say, now I know. The Hebrew word there is yada. It didn't make it in the book. Just too, too much Hebrew in it already. But the Hebrew word yada has to do with not just knowing something to be true, like theoretically, but having seen and experienced. And, and now I know because I've been there and seen kind of knowing. Abraham can can say now, uh, God can say, now I know, Abraham, that, that you love me because you won't withhold even your the son of promise. Uh, 
And the book of Hebrews tells us Abraham figured if God commanded him to take Isaac's life, God also promised that his offspring would be numbered through Isaac. So Abraham held on to the command to sacrifice Isaac, but he also held on to the promise that God would bring uh, many nations through Isaac, that particular son. So uh, to hold on to and put yourself under God's word of command and promise in real life, that's maybe what obedience means. Enough of the recap. Let's get right on to the rest of chapter 9 here. Uh, I'm starting on page 164 with a section called Suffering, Obedience, and You. The last section was called Suffering, Obedience, and Jesus. This section is called Suffering, Obedience, and You. Because Jesus was obedient unto death and resurrection, Jesus became the source of salvation to all who obey him, to all who hear and hold on to his words of command and promise. Once the unique and divine sonship of Jesus was brought to fulfillment in the Son's obedient suffering and sacrificial death and victorious resurrection, Jesus became the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. That's another sense in which the suffering of Jesus does not happen in isolation. God's delight in the suffering, death, resurrection of Jesus, God delights in the suffering, death, resurrection of Jesus because of what it accomplishes because of you. Our conversation about the treasured possession back in chapter 6 finds its fulfillment is perfected in the mystery of God's delight in the cross and empty tomb. Just as the merchant jumps up and spins around and shouts, woohoo, and sells everything he owns to buy that one precious pearl, so the Father considers what it will take to bring you, beloved, back home. The Father's delight sends Jesus to the cross. God does not delight in the suffering of Jesus by itself. God delights in the obedient suffering, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection of Jesus because of what it accomplishes. God gets you back, and you are the focus of God's delight. Having been brought back into God's family, we now find in Jesus the source of our salvation. In fact, we now obey Jesus. That is, we hear his words of promise and command and hold on to them for dear life. Jesus' submission to the will slash delight of the Father becomes our submission to the will slash delight of the Father. Jesus' willingness to face suffering and death in light of promise and resurrection becomes our willingness to face suffering and even death in the confidence and the promise of resurrection. Jesus' obedience becomes our obedience. As we hold on to both promise and command, as the adopted sons of as the adopted status of beloved child is brought to fulfillment in us through the challenges and temptations and sufferings of our own wilderness and garden. Jesus says as much in some key places in the Gospels. In this chapter, we've already spent some time sitting with Jesus in the upper room right before his arrest and trial and crucifixion. These passages in John capture the last extended teaching before Jesus puts obedience unto death and resurrection into practice. No wonder, then, that obedience is on his mind. We already looked at the surprising joyful delight, kara, of that Monday Thursday, 
But look at how that delight is found in the midst of obedience. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be with you and that your joy may be complete, made perfect. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. That's John 15, 9 to 14. If you're thinking doggy obedience school, all this talk of commands just doesn't make sense. But this can't be some blind obedience to the rules. For Jesus, doing what God commands flows from a love relationship. This is Jesus delighting in and doing the delight of the Father and inviting the disciples to delight in and do the things that bring the delight of Jesus to complete fulfillment. You aren't slaves. You are friends. You aren't being asked to sit up and roll over for a treat if you amuse your master. You're being invited to participate in a love relationship that includes hearing and putting yourself under delight holding on to commands and promises, even when that means obedience unto death and resurrection. It's hard to understand words like obedience or commands in this context of love and friendship and joy. It sounds like Jesus must be preaching law, but some of it sure feels like gospel invitation rather than a condemning burden That might be because Jesus is talking about law in the absolute broadest sense of the word, the story of God's action in human history to save, which includes thou shalt and thou shalt not, but also includes promise and rescue and blessing. In John 15, Jesus commands you to hold on to... Uh, In John 15, Jesus commands you to hold on to God loved the world in this way. God gave the beloved Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus commands you to hold on to whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus commands you to hold on to just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Jesus commands you to hold on to all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Jesus commands you to hold on to I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. All of these passages from the book of John belong to what Jesus has instructed, taught, and commanded his disciples. His disciples now obey these commands. They hear and put themselves under and hold on to these instructions and promises. You are not left on your own to muster up a little more faithful obedience this week, even if obedience is broader and more delightful than you once imagined. The same Jesus who received the Spirit pours out the Spirit, with the result that the same Spirit who filled Jesus now fills you. God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who cries out, Abba, Abba, 
Father. That's Galatians 4. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. That's Romans 8. Your obedience is not the obedience of a slave who has no relationship or status in the family. Your obedience is the obedience of a beloved daughter, a beloved son. In fact, your obedience is the the obedience of the beloved son. The son who sends the spirit to form the prayer of the beloved on your lips. On your lips, too. Abba, Father. Just as Jesus prayed in the garden, you pray in your garden, in your wilderness, in your place of testing or confusion or wandering or doubt. Abba, Father, your kingdom come, your delight be done on earth as it is in heaven. Of course, suffering is not delightful, and you are not supposed to delight in the act of suffering. As one who belongs to Jesus, sealed with the Spirit, adopted as into an Abba relationship with the Father, you delight in the midst of suffering. As Peter, the friend who fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane and shortly thereafter denied knowing Jesus three times, as Peter, who knows the risen Christ, says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while... You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That's 1 Peter 1. And that joyful delight word, in all this you rejoice greatly, is agaliao. The very the same variety of jump up and spin around joy Jesus experienced in the spirit when he saw the thoughtful delight of the Father at work. Agaliao, to jump for joy, delight greatly. Peter doesn't say you should think the suffering is fun. Peter declares our living hope based in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Peter looks forward to the coming of Jesus when our genuine faith will result in praise and honor and glory for Jesus. And in light of that hope and confidence giving sacrificial death and vicarious resurrection and final saving return at the last day of Jesus, all one big accomplished reality... Peter can say, even suffering in all kinds of trials can be met with a hopeful and confident woohoo! Incidentally, uh, Peter seems to have practiced what he preached. Peter was one of the apostles in Acts 5 who, after they were flogged for teaching and healing in the name of Jesus, left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace. For the name. This rejoicing is not thank you for the pain. Rather, this sacred rejoicing in the midst of trials and persecutions and struggles and suffering says thank you that this experience of pain is tied up in a bigger reality that means this pain is not the first or the final word. Thank you that hope and faith and victory and promise are stronger than death. Thank you that my present is tied directly to Jesus' future. Abba, Father, your delight be done. Like the suffering of Jesus, your suffering doesn't happen in a vacuum. 
As real and terrible and all-consuming as your suffering is, it is not the first, the last, or the most important thing about you. Oh, your suffering is real. All too real. Don't pretend it's not, and don't listen to people who tell you that true believers don't suffer. We've been talking about delight a lot in this book, and I've tried to show at least a little of why I think delight is not just a marginal experience for a follower of Jesus, but a defining characteristic. The biblical delight I have in mind is not an ignorance is bliss, ignore your pain, don't worry, be happy kind of sappy sentimentalism. The delight of Jesus followers echoes the delight of Jesus. It resonates with harmonies and overtones rich enough to encompass dissonance and resolution. Delight in God's delight means embracing suffering but not suffering in isolation, suffering as a part of a bigger story, a story that began before suffering and continues on through suffering to the other side. Your obedience and suffering are tied up in a sacred and insoluble tangle with the obedient suffering, sacrificial death, victorious resurrection, and return in glory of the suffering servant of Yahweh. You can rejoice in the midst of your suffering because God's delight is so much bigger than your suffering. Your suffering is real and painful and almost unbearable and your suffering ties you to Jesus. It was God's delight not to stay far away from your suffering but in Jesus to draw near and stay near you. I am with you always, Jesus promises, even in your suffering. Just recently, our youngest child climbed into bed with my wife and me in the middle of the night. He's almost too big for that now, but he had had a bad dream, so he wanted to be near mom and dad, where he felt safe and warm and protected and loved. I grieve that one of these nights will be the last time he seeks comfort in snuggles. He's grown up so fast. When my father-in-law came home from the hospital for the last time, we put him in his own bedroom, in his own bed. We gathered as a family and sang and prayed and kept vigil over those final days of decline. I remember my mother-in-law climbing into bed next to him when he was no longer conscious, snuggling close, embracing his failing body to let him know even beyond words that he was safe and protected and loved. When I hear Jesus pray, Abba, Father, if there is another way, let this cup pass from me. It's hard for me to understand why an all-powerful and all-loving God couldn't snap those omnipotent fingers and remove the cup of suffering from Jesus. What kind of vindictive father lets a beloved son go to the cross? And then I realize the thing that required Jesus to enter into suffering was not God's will for Jesus to suffer, but God's will to be near to sinful humans in the midst of their suffering. 
God's desirable delight is to be close to you. When Jesus set out to rescue fallen humanity from the sinful mess we had gotten ourselves into, Jesus didn't keep a safe distance. Jesus came near. We made our bed and Jesus chose to lie in it with us. Jesus snuggled up close and embraced us even in our mortality. Jesus knew hunger for you. Jesus knew thirst for you. Jesus knew exhaustion for you. Jesus knew temptation for you. Jesus knew grief for you. Jesus knew suffering for you. Jesus knew death for you. It cost Jesus everything to draw near to you so he can be with you always. He will not turn you away in the night. He will not shun even your deathbed. Jesus' suffering and death belong to the delight of Jesus, holding you in his strong embrace to let you know even beyond words that you are safe and protected and loved now and forever, no matter what. For the joy set before him, for you, Jesus counted the cross a ridiculously small price to pay. The incarnation, life, baptism, temptation, teaching, healing, suffering, death, resurrection, ascension, and return of Jesus, one big unified reality, gives Jesus the delight of saying to you, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The promise of the ongoing presence of Jesus is part of what is known as the Great Commission. After the cross and empty tomb, just as Jesus is about to be taken up bodily into heaven with the promise to return in the same way, Jesus gives this last benediction wrapped in marching orders. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, Matthew 28, 19 to 20. I like how the English Standard Version chooses the phrase, observe all that I've commanded you. I understand why the New Testament Version goes with, obey everything I've commanded you. That translation isn't wrong. It's just that if we take our knee-jerk understanding of teaching people to obey everything, I think we tend toward a list of rules or strict laws you can't break under penalty of death. All that Jesus commanded us certainly does include rules and laws. It even deals with the penalty of death, but all that Jesus commanded us covers so much more. When we as church go to disciple the nations— that is, when we walk with people of all ethnic groups in a way that helps them know and follow Jesus, when we disciple the nations we baptize and teach, we teach them to observe everything Jesus commanded, including marching orders like baptize and teach, but also including promises like, Behold, I am with you always. This is another one of those whole story type of commands that includes hearing and holding on to God's delight, not as a theoretical thing, but as something that gets lived out in real life. Observing everything Jesus commanded means holding on to the promises and putting into practice the life and teachings of the one who, filled with the Spirit, pours out the Spirit on those who hold on to his promises and put his teachings into practice. This command to observe obey, hold on to, put yourself under, and live out, 
This command to observe the teachings of Jesus echoes what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Hear and put into practice. That's at the heart of what it means to obey. It seems obvious that you can obey commands like, do not judge or you too will be judged, Matthew 7. But obeying a command doesn't fit well with, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. That's also Matthew 7. Yet both come at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, just before Jesus says you have built your house on a rock if you hear his words and put them into practice. If you go back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the contrast gets even starker between our concept of obeying as following rules without relationship and a biblical understanding of hearing, putting yourself under, holding on to, and putting into practice. You can teach disciples from all nations to obey the command, do not judge, but how do you obey? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. When Jesus commissions us to teach all people, regardless of their nation of origin, to obey everything he commanded, he intends for us to teach them how to put themselves under, hold on to, and live out. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, kara, and be glad, agaliao, joyful delight, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed could go into our biblical word cloud of delight, somewhere near kara, joyful on account of grace. When we obey, put ourselves under, embrace and hold on to, trust and live out the words, commands, promises, exhortations, and blessings of Jesus, we have built our house on a solid foundation that no storm can shake. We can face suffering with confidence. And, according to Jesus, we will know delight. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy, kara, woohoo, may be in you, and that your joy, kara, woohoo, may be full, may be made complete or brought to fulfillment. Our job then as disciples and as disciplers is to obey the blessings, promises, and commands of Jesus as we, filled with the Spirit, discern the delight of the Father, the Father's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Jesus himself teaches us to pray for that sort of joyful obedience, that we may delight in God's will and walk in God's ways, to the glory of God's holy name. Well, we're not quite done with this chapter, but we'll finish it tomorrow night for sure. Thanks so much for joining us. Please check out the link to becoming a Next Step patron in the description of this podcast and of this Facebook Live video. We'd love to have your support as we walk from 2020 and begin to look towards 2021. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. We'll see you next time at Next Step Press.